So uh, we'll talk about that. And uh, we have a couple great guests on tonight with us. Uh, we have uh, Preston DeFrancis, uh, the director of Ruin Me. And uh, we have uh, Colton Toombs. Uh, his uh, father, of course, was the legendary Rowdy Roddy Piper. And, uh, so, Icon, uh, we are here now. I, yeah. had, I had a small issue... I had a small issue with the password, and it wasn't letting me, for whatever reason, get into the studio. It just kept telling me service temporarily unavailable, which was kind of annoying me a little bit. Um, I had a cool way to start this show, and I didn't get a chance to do it. So let me do this first. <laughs> Again, go to sharpshooterfunding.com and check it out. Any funding you need, they can help you with. Also, we got this is Colin from Minnesota Metal Band Celestial Drift. You're rocking Attitude Era Live with my guy, the Icon. All right, now, the show that I showed, the way, the, what I initially planned on doing, Icon, was before, or I shouldn't say before, before we even said anything or talked about who was on or any of that, coming out of the intro music. I had a little plan, and my little plan coming out of the intro music, um, literally before any words were said on the show at all, was as follows. You guys might know this song. Why am I playing my girl, you wonder? Well, just less than 24 hours ago, this is why. Well, clearly she's been watching backstage. Oh, in trouble. Biting her tongue. Down the- 
with this for Alexa Bliss. Right back on the throne where the goddess belongs. But boys, I don't want to rain on the parade 30 seconds in, but title right there. Ronda Rousey is not going to be happy about what just happened. Well, there you go. You're right on the parade, coach, because we just had one of the greatest cash-ins in the history. This arrived at the perfect time, and after making sure Ronda was completely eliminated from the equation, Bliss would officially cash in, and she did. It becomes a five-time women's champion. Hey, I'll give credit where credit's due, and this crowd could not believe what they saw. Alexa Bliss, the ultimate opportunist tonight. Alexa Bliss is now Raw Women's so yes my girl does it again alexa bliss with easily in my opinion other than edge of course because the edge cash in will always be the best in my opinion but alexa bliss with one of the best i'd say top three best cash ins ever last night and you know i said to my buddy when i was watching watching the pay-per-view with him i said they had the women's money in the bank match first or at least early on in the show I said, Bliss won it. I go, something's going to happen tonight. Because usually the Money in the Bank matches are the last two matches. The fact that they had the women's one early, I figured something might happen. Um, I do kind of wish that she didn't cash it in so that she could have the build up and really build up as a heel and then cash it in, you know, and kind of taunt Nia with it for a little while. But boy, oh boy, was I excited last night. And, uh, you know, I, I bash WWE Creative a lot. But I think WWE Creative did something right because this was a hell of a way. I, it wasn't a way to end the pay-per-view. It wasn't the last match, but it was a hell of a way to, to you know, get something going in that division. Because, I mean, the, the ultimate heel, the ultimate opportunist, Alexa Bliss, five feet of fury, doing it again. And I just was... I, but that and the AJ Styles Nakamura match was awesome, um, and and you know we're finally going to see Braun Strowman and Brock Lesnar finally. So, but but I'll tell you, the Alexa Bliss thing, man. I I know Granny probably wouldn't have liked it very much because you know she doesn't really like the heels. But boy, I'll tell you, that was amazing last night. Well, did you see did you see Raw at the beginning of Raw tonight? A uh, big swing. Well, I'm I'm covering the I'm covering the Yankee game right now against the Nationals, so I didn't get to see Whoa. it, but I get updates on my phone. Apparently, uh, Ronda Rousey went off the deep end. Yeah, yeah she, she did, and she and she bashed she bashed old Alexa Bliss out of, but now she's down a 30 day suspension because of what she did. Not only what yeah. she did to Alexa Bliss, but Kurt Angle and some referees and. Yeah, she yeah, she, she was uh, she was not happy, and, and you know they called it last night. They said Alexa Bliss, uh, I mean, excuse me, not Alexa Bliss. That Ronda Rousey was not going to be very happy, but you know Alexa Bliss, being the heel that she is, calling her Ronda Rousey, saying that she's you know an overrated rookie. I mean, she's just a perfect heel, man. I mean, I I love Alexa. Well, you know, when it comes to when it comes to heels, you know, uh, we all have our opinions, but uh, uh, to me. Uh, uh, Alexa Bliss, yes, she's a heel and uh, she's beautiful. Uh, we can't uh, deny that. Uh, but the thing about Ron, or uh, not Ronda Rousey, the thing about Alexa Bliss, though, is she may be a heel, but I don't dislike her. You know, there's only one heel that I wish was dead. Well, did you hear the pop That's last Kevin night Owens. though? When she when she cashed in and she won that belt, I mean, the crowd went crazy because, I mean, I think. 
every male on the planet loves Alexa Bliss, and I think even some girls, even the females, love Alexa Bliss. I, I just, I've never heard a heel get such a pop for a cash-in because they were trying to make Nia Jax be like the hero, like like the, you know, all the girls who have ever been bullied or weight-shamed or whatever. They were trying to make a statement, a positive political statement with Nia Jax, and uh, when Alexa Bliss uprooted that last night, uh, she got cheered for it. So it just kind of goes to show you where WWE fans still stand. It made me feel good that – because I remember I told you I had my qualms with why they were giving Nia the belt. You know, Nia, Nia Jax's whole campaign was she didn't want to be weight shamed. So they were giving her the belt simply because she was overweight. You know what I'm saying? Like she didn't want to be treated differently because of her appearance, but they gave her the belt because – they were using her as a symbol of, hey, look, big girls can do it too. And, you know, if, if I am if I was in her shoes, I'd be like, no, I, I want it because I'm the best, not because you want to make a you know, a political statement about anti-bullying. I don't want to be your scapegoat. I don't want, I don't want to be your your statue, you know. And uh, I would have been upset if I was Nia Jax. But now you look at Nia Jax and you're like, oh, it's such a feel-good story. And, oh, a girl has been the way to whole life. Oh, how cute. She has the belt. It made me happy to see that the WWE crowd still has some attitude error left in them when the bad guy comes in and says, I don't care if you're the feel-good story. I'm going to come in and take your belt and go back where I belong uh, at the top. And that that was great that that she got cheered for that because it just shows you that there's still a little bit of that that chaos theory left in the WWE universe. Well, I'll tell you what. uh, Real quick here, uh, before uh, before we get uh, too far into it, because I I do want to talk about it. Uh, our our first guest should be uh, calling in here uh, any minute. Uh, I won't let you guys know. Uh, I don't know if you guys did your uh, homework or not, uh, but uh, Preston DeFrancis is our first guest tonight. Uh, he was the director and producer and creator of the movie Ruin Me. Now, if you watch that movie, uh, it will definitely scare you straight. Uh, and... Uh, it had a lot of twists and turns. It was very well done. And uh, uh, I had a chance to meet him uh, when he was here in North Dakota. And I kind of mentioned to him a little bit about, uh, you know, what I do and what we do on the show and everything. And he asked me, he said, uh, do you think I could come on the show and talk about my film? And I said, sure. And uh, I made it happen. So we're going to have him on with us. And here's the thing. I booked him as a guest six months ago. So, and also tonight, uh, we have Colton Toombs. Uh, His father uh, was Rowdy, or uh, was uh, Roderick Toombs, a.k.a. Rowdy Roddy Piper. And uh, he's going to be on with us. And uh, as I told you guys last week, this will uh, this will be the most uh, heartfelt uh, interview that I've ever been part of, and it's going to be emotional to me. And uh, tonight, uh, this show, I am dedicating to not only his father, Roddy Roddy Piper, I'm also dedicating this show to my father. My war hero, my first and my first hero ever, my father, Homer Helmerast. Uh, this uh, show is dedicated to him. So 
Um, just want to say that. I'll try not to get too emotional. So but, again, uh, right, right when you change, right when you think you know the answers, I changed the question. The Rowdy Roddy Piper t- signature tagline, and yes, it will definitely be an emotional interview. Uh, but we'll get to that. We'll get the Kleenex ready, and uh, we'll have our we'll have our alcoholic beverages. But first, we have another guest. The first guest you mentioned, Preston DeFrancis. So, Icon, I'm going to let you do your thing. I'm going to step away for one second here to. Yankees just won, by the way. Go Yankees. Um, I'm going to put them on commercial here and transfer them back over to the national broadcast, and I will be back. But, Icon, I'm letting you do your thing right now. Ladies and gentlemen, stepping out of the green room and walking down that aisle, the most gifted director in history of cinema going today. Ladies and gentlemen, not only will he ruin you, he will ruin me. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Preston DeFrancis. Hey, buddy, how are you? <laughs> wow, hello. That That is an amazing intro. Uh, thank you very much. And I'm, I'm honored also to be on what sounds like it's going to be a pretty, pretty major episode for everyone. And so I, I'm honored to be a part of it. So thank you for having me. Yeah. Now, now, uh, what I what we usually do is uh, they, uh, we usually give our guests the best introduction they've ever had, and then uh, we have our guests tell us a little bit about themselves and a little a little background thing. So, if you want to tell us a little about you, then we'll ask you some cool questions. Uh, so, I'm I'm on the show today because I'm talking about my horror feature film Ruin Me, which is just finishing up its uh, festival run. Um, and will be available for everyone to watch very soon, possibly soonest next month. Uh, I uh, have been working on making films for, well, since, you know, I was just a young wee lad uh, making first uh, VHS films with my aunt's JCPenney VHS camera. Uh, when I was in college, I got really into Super 8, and I, and I uh, even though digital video was the thing at that time, I, uh, I made my first really angsty, terrible student film when I was uh, in college, uh, studying engineering, actually, uh, because I, I, I'm from a small town in West Virginia, and I never thought that I could actually be a filmmaker making real films. So I was studying engineering and making these Super 8 films on the side. And then uh, I finally uh, found some mentors who encouraged me, and they said, you know what, you can do, if you really believe in this, you can, you can do this. And so I finished that engineering degree and I went on to film school uh, out here. I, I live in Los Angeles now. I came out to film school here at the University of Southern California for grad school and uh, realized that, you know, maybe I could actually I could actually do this. And I've been chasing that dream ever since. And Ruin Me is my first feature as a film, as a, as a, as a director. Well, do you have cool. an affinity for horror movies? I know that I'm a, I'm a big horror movie fan. I used to write, I was a journalist college and just write mm, uh, nice. movie reviews and uh one of my favorite ones are, are horror movies and um i know a lot of directors don't necessarily start with horror movies a lot of them try the you know their stereotypical rom-coms because they're the easiest to write what made you want to do a film like this as your first feature signature film like what well, like what talked to you about like what spoke to you about wanting to maybe try something like this for your first one you know it's funny that you mentioned the the romantic comedy so, um, so when I was going through the program at USC, I felt like I was seeing a lot of my classmates doing 
a lot of really heavy drama, things that just weren't really fun to watch, you know, that were maybe, uh, you know, kind of depressing and things like that. And so I actually said, you know what, I want to stand out by going the other way. I want to make things that are fun to watch, that are entertaining, uh, uh, that are an entertaining thing to experience. So I actually worked, that my first thing that I worked on was in the romantic comedy genre. My thesis film to graduate was actually a mystery romantic comedy uh, called The Big Production. And I co-wrote that with Trista Bissett, who is still my co-screenwriter, co-wrote Ruin Me With Me. So we, we were like, you know what, we're going to go fun with these things. So we did, we did the big production, and then we started writing romantic comedy scripts as, as, as our first thing when we finished film school. And the thing about that is that they are really fun to write, but unless you get a major Hollywood star attached to your romantic comedy, no one is going to care about it. And we were, you know, two unknown kids coming out of film school. I mean, we're still basically unknowns, but we were more, even more unknown at that time coming out of film school. And we just had no ability or connections to get stars attached to be in our romantic comedies. So we wrote a couple that, you know, helped our careers a little bit, got us noticed a little bit around town, but none of them ever got made because there, we couldn't get big stars attached. And both Trista and I had always been fans of horror movies. And we, and a lot of people said, well, why don't you make a, why don't you make a horror film? And we just didn't have that right idea. We didn't have that spark of inspiration until Ruin Me. When we came up with this setting, uh, so Ruin Me involves this extreme haunted experience that's called Slasher Sleepout that goes horribly wrong. And when we came up with this concept for an extreme haunted experience that goes terribly awry. We knew that we had something that was cool. Then when we put on our, you know, our writer's caps and said, okay, we have this, we have this great setting, but what is the type of character who would have the most trouble in a setting like this? And we created our protagonist of Alexandra or Alex, as she's known in the movie and she's not a horror movie fan, and she's tagging along at this event with her boyfriend to be a good sport for him. And uh, she's totally a fish out of water. And she's also not your pure, typical, virginal hero, heroine that you would see in, uh, in uh, horror movies. And so when we created that character, that was the moment that we said, this is something really special that we have to make. Because... We've never really seen a movie that, that has a lot of these slasher movie tropes and conventions, but also is centered very firmly, always from one character's point of view. Um, and, that, and we thought that that was something unique. And so we said, we have to make this movie. And horror movies, you don't need big stars to get them made. And so that's how we were able to, how we were able to get this one in the can. And what is the name of uh, your uh, your main star? I always have trouble pronouncing her name, so that's why I'm going to let you do it. Yeah, yeah. So her name is Marcianne Dwyer. It is a tough one to pronounce, um, but uh, I'm I'm hoping that it's a name that everyone is going to know because she carries the weight of this film on her shoulders. She is in 
every single scene of this movie and has a range of such a range of emotions from from uh, intensely sad and emotional to fierce and brave to very quiet, intimate moments. Uh, And she is so talented. Uh, I can't believe she's not a star already. I hope the movie, (laughs) I hope the movie makes her a star. Uh, She's also a very talented um, uh, singer songwriter. And that's actually, she's more focused on that than she is on her acting actually. Um, And she's one of those people that is just like, my word, you have, you have so many talents, (laughs) you know, well, um, you mentioned that uh, it's uh, is it's going to be released on DVD next month. Is that right? Uh, it it is going to be released first on um, uh, st- streaming. That that's the first way it's going to be released. I really wish I could announce via what service it's going to be it's going to be available. I'm not allowed to announce it yet. I'm embargoed from announcing it, but hopefully very soon we'll be able to announce. And it's pro- it's in it's next month or very shortly thereafter that it will be available for everyone in the U.S. and Canada to see. Well, here's my here's my question that I I always ask all our guests, and you guys know this this is coming. Uh, would you be willing to, uh, when it is released, uh, send us a few uh, autographed copies that we can uh, have for giveaways for our big December show that we got coming? I absolutely will if there is even something physical to give away. This is this okay. is the conundrum, and, I, and I'm as frustrated about it as as anyone. But so many of these, so many smaller films like mine may never live in a physical format. They may they may live on streaming services, and there and there may be nothing that I can that I can give away physical. Um, I would I would love I would love that. I, I myself am a huge fan of physical media, and I still collect Blu-rays, and now 4K Blu-rays, because it is the highest quality way to watch something. And I, I'm always looking for the highest uh, quality picture, the highest bitrate sound. That's the experience I want. It's just the, you know, the world that we live in is values convenience over the highest quality. And uh, so, you know, some some of these movies may never may never see physical release, but I, if, if it well, does, how is it, I would love to. Well, how has it been doing in the um, in the festival uh, segment? Like, has, has it been? Has, have you been getting good feedback on it? Uh, for the most part, we've been getting fantastic feedback. First of all, in terms of okay. the breadth and length of our festival run, it's been far beyond my wildest expectations. We started. Uh, we world premiered in London at Fright Fest, which is one of the top five uh, horror film festivals in the world, last August. Yeah. And we have been going virtually nonstop since then. Um, I will be going to our 34th festival uh, in July. Uh, and I, I've been traveling around with it uh, for almost a year now. Um, and that, that in itself, just getting invited to play at these festivals, especially prestigious ones like Fright Fest, Screenfest here in Los Angeles, and even non-core um, film festivals like Austin Film Festival, Fargo Film Festival, Seattle International, to welcome a, a horror film like our a little horror film like ours has been great. Um, in terms of the response that we've we've gotten, uh, there are some people who are so excited about it and so get what we're trying to do. 
there are some people because this is not this is not your typical horror movie. This goes deeper. This movie goes deeper than a typical horror movie. And there are some people who aren't ready for that, who aren't that's not what they want to see. And I feel like those those are the people who walk out disappointed because they've come in wanting and expecting something and they aren't willing to watch the movie for what it is. They're, they judge the movie for what it isn't. Uh, and I, th- that's my biggest hope is just for anyone who sounds a click to click play. Yeah. We're going to take you on a fun ride. This is, this is a horror film. There's going to be a lot of the horror tropes that, that you're used to, but we're also trying to do something a little different than, than all of the tropes that you're used to. And uh, that, you know, I just, I want everyone to keep an open mind to, to what, what we're trying to do with this. Now, there was a, there was a scene, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, and I know that uh, one of your highlights, of course, for me, was when you were, when you were here in Fargo when uh, I got to meet you and you got to meet me. And uh, yes, I know sir. that was one, definitely one of your career highlights. But uh, there, there's a, there was a, uh, maybe a little, um, um, how you want to say it, um, creative difference with you and uh, the main star, uh, there was a scene where uh, she uh, had to change her outfit, and she <laughs> thought that she would have to be without uh, pants for the rest yes. of the film. Is that true? Yes. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yes, that, that is – so, okay. So first of all, I want to address and say that being in Fargo was a career highlight, highlight of mine. That is a fantastic festival they it was you you everyone was so welcoming i was so happy to be there uh it's my goal to have every film that i work on show at that festival um okay so marcian had had been in another horror film earlier in her earlier in her career and i won't name the film because uh i just don't think that would be right to name the film but and it wasn't as good as yours it, well, that I that is up to that is up to the eye of the beholder, um, of course. But uh, in this film, they really press. She was cast in the lead, with the understanding that there would be no nudity in that film, uh, on the on her part. And throughout production, she received constant pressure to to perform scenes naked. And that's something that's really unfair. And that as a filmmaker, I would never. Sometimes, and even in my movie, there are there is sometimes nudity called for. But when you're when you're casting those roles, it is your duty to be a hundred percent upfront, to share the script pages, to answer any questions that the actresses have, and just be so upfront about any anything like that, so that they can they, you give the control over to them to decide whether or not they're comfortable with it. So in the in in Marcian's case. Uh, she she was the lead, and there is absolutely no nudity called for, no nudity written in the script, and that was our agreement. Um, so, one of the cool things in our movie are the T-shirts that go along with Flasher Sleepout. The design is so awesome, but I didn't get to see the design for that T-shirt until maybe a week before we start, started shooting. And when I saw that, I said, "Man, that is awesome." we've got to find ways to work that into the movie more. So one of the ways we, and this is a last minute rewrite, we decided to work it in is that at one point, uh, she, her character goes into a body of water, cold is freezing cold and wet when she comes out. 
so her character changes into that slasher sleepout shirt for the rest of the movie. And to me, that was just a minor change that she, you know, she changes into the shirt. So we did a quick script revision where we wrote, she changes into the slasher sleepout t-shirt. And when Marcian read that, she, I think was very sensitive about it because of what had happened with, with that earlier movie and so she thought that she was changing into the slasher sleepout shirt and nothing else. She thought that for the rest of the movie, which is like 20 more minutes of movie, 30 more minutes of movie, that she was going to be running around in her underwear. And she was such a good sport about it. Uh, the night before we started shooting, it was, it was right around when she got to the script pages, and she said to me, she said, um, so I noticed that you have me changing into this shirt. And I guess I'm not going to be wearing pants for the rest of the movie. And I felt so bad and so guilty because that was never our intent. Uh, and it was just about her changing her shirt. But it was, but she, she, you know, to her credit, she was willing to go along with it if that's, if that's what we wanted. But that was absolutely not what we wanted. It, we, it would have been very, a lot of intense emotional stuff happened. And it would have been very strange to have her not, fully close for those emotional moments. <laughs> now, um, as a director, you know, and I've, uh, I've only, uh, had a chance to see the film once because it was mm-hmm. only at the premiere, but, uh, when it's, uh, available on streaming, are, are you able to tell us where it's going to be streaming? Like, is it Netflix or Hulu or can't you mention that yet? I can't yet. Uh, okay. You can't yet. I can't. It's someplace really exciting. And it's it's a place okay. that's the perfect home for a film like this, but I can't tell you where. I'm sorry. Well, it's okay. Because uh, the thing is, what I'm going to do, and uh, I know what Big Swing's going to do, and what Granny Hawkshaw's going to do. When uh, what I'd like you to do is, I like want you to messenger messenger me on Facebook when it's going to be and it. where, so I can let them know. And would we? Would you allow us to announce on our show? When I find out to let people know, would I be able to do that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I would love it. I would love it. My next question is, uh, as a, as a director, you know, you, you want to, you want to go for the mainstream. You want to, you want to get the, you want to get the Oscars. You want to get the Emmys. You want to get the, uh, the good, the, the big awards. You want to get all that, the Tonys and all that stuff. Now, do you have any, projects now that uh that you're working on uh that you're writing or thinking about that you can talk about and also um as as you know me as the good guy I am with the great in- introduction to everything uh would you have a small part for me in your next movie yes and yes absolutely uh so um you're absolutely right that the dream, of course, is to be on that stage, winning one of those awards, winning an Oscar, winning an Emmy, you know, all of that stuff is absolutely part of the dream. But, you know, as as I get further along in my career, uh, you know, the, honestly, the real goal, and I, I mean, I, and I think any, any person who is authentically an artist, the real goal is just to be able to keep, keep doing it. You know, and, um, and and that's the constant challenge of, you know, with a little film like this, 
that is not it's not making anyone rich it you know it it it, it, it it's now how do how do i grow to that next project that maybe will be a little bit more prestigious and maybe number 3 i can you know grow to even further prestige you know it's it's it, the the goal the goal to me is always just to to be able to keep to keep doing it and to keep making a living doing it which it's so it's it's really hard. It's a constant struggle in any in any field, any artistic field. It's a constant struggle to be able to be able to make a living and do it. Um, uh, so our next our next movie that we are uh, putting the finishing touches on the script now is also a horror film. Uh, we're doubling down on the horror drama in this one, and it's called After the Summer, and it's about a 21 uh, year old uh, girl who always spends her summer vacations with her family at her family's lake house uh, in Michigan. And uh, she's done this since she was a little girl. And uh, she's had a, a, a girlfriend that uh, she's grown up knowing since they were, since they were kids. Um, and uh, that, that her friend goes missing. And so our, our hero lies to her parents. And instead of going back to college for her senior year, she decides to stay in the town in this little town after the summer to investigate the disappearance of her friend. Uh, and uh, she, what she discovers is that the town is a very different place after the summer than the town that she knows. And uh, it's, it's a much deeper, darker, there are much deeper and darker secrets at play. Very interesting. And uh, do you, uh, do you have a uh, time frame when you want to start uh, shooting on this? We want to go at some point in 2019. Uh, we are we are figuring out the production aspects of it now. One of the big challenges is that um, due to the very nature of the script, the seasons change throughout throughout the script. Um, and so, uh, you know, we if we want to cast an actress who is of some renown, we're we're you know going to get that that person for you know a, a window of time. And so how, how are we going to manage the season change and, and all of that stuff? And that's, that's a big production challenge that is tough for a little film like ours. You know, if you've got, you know, big budget Marvel movie or whatever, you know, yeah, you shoot, you shoot a couple of months in the summer, you shoot a couple of months in the spring, you shoot a couple of months in the winter, no problem. But for us, for us when we need to accomplish it on a, on a small budget, that's going to be a big challenge that we have to figure out. So we're, so we're working on it. We're working on it. Now, um, in your uh, in your filming, you know a lot of uh, you know directors, uh, you know, talk they talk about you know what what they did with their film and who started in this. But there's there's one aspect that uh, I've always been curious about that you know you never get to talk to directors about. And uh, we have about uh, 23 minutes here with you. Uh, we're also going to have you do a little promo thing for us. I'll discuss that in a little bit. But when you're filming. And uh, you know you're doing stuff for the studio. What is it, what do they tell you about uh, you know takes that you can do or how many takes you should do? Uh, the cost of film, uh, you know, the cost of project uh, running the projectors, the cost of editing us all that. Do you do you have a, a you obviously have a budget, but is that something that you set for yourself? So you know, you don't end up paying the studio or does the studio say, okay, this is what we give you and this is what you have to work with. How does that work? Cool. Cool question. So 
on Ruin Me, uh, essentially, I and my four partners, we were the studio. So uh, we we weren't necessarily answering to a big a big governing body like you would be on a on a larger project uh, because it was the the five of us and the private equity that we had raised amongst the five of us that was putting that we put together in the film. So um, we did a lot of internal policing of ourselves to make sure that no one area. Any, any one of us were spending too much on. So, um, so I, I, I knew that I only had so, no, so many takes that I could get. Now, the good news is that t- in today's world when we're shooting digitally, the cost per take is not really in, in the film stock or in the processing uh, because a few years ago, uh, your, your negative, the processing of that, that negative – all of that stuff, that actually was a, a big cost, right? Now it's all ones and zeros. It's all bits. So, you know, the hard, hard drive space is not that expensive. So that, that is the big cost. The big cost doing a ton of takes, though, is time. Because if you, if you as a filmmaker, are trying to chase some, some version of a scene and you're sitting there doing 10 takes, 15 takes, 20 takes, you're burning up a ton of your day. And uh, if you have to go into overtime, then, then you're, you know, you're paying your actors overtime, you're paying your crew overtime, and that is a huge expense. And, and then, like, people get burned out, especially on these little films, you know, because we're not paying them a lot. Uh, everyone is wearing a bunch of hats, you know. Everyone is doing multiple jobs. So, you know, you just – you just want to do your best to be respectful that, you know, yes, I'm, I'm the director and I'm the big boss on the set, but at the same time, everyone who's there is there because they're really good at their jobs. And you want to be respectful of them and, 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 their, and, and being good at their jobs. And so, you, you know, you, you, don't want to, you don't want to run up crazy numbers of takes. Except, like, every once in a while, if you absolutely need it, yes, you can do that, but Everybody gets tired. Everyone gets burned out, you know. Um, an actor is not going to give, most likely, is not going to give a great performance on take 23 because they've been, you know, saying the same kind of lines over and over again. Um, now, on a, on a bigger project, so I, I've had the good fortune of being a smaller part, never director, but a smaller role on some bigger shows and been a part of the budgeting process for those. And again it's it's more it's set sort of by the director if you know how how many takes that they do but what happens is if they start to show a pattern of you know oh they're doing way too many takes they're doing too much coverage of the scene meaning they're shooting too many angles of a given scene and they're always going over yeah the studio their phone is going to ring and it's going to be somebody from the studio saying hey you really need to you need to rein this in because you're spending you're spending too much money. You know they they know that certain days you know if it's a if it's a thirty day shoot you know they go yeah you know maybe we'll go over three days four days something like that. But if a director starts spending too much time and going over and going into overtime every single day, their phone is going to ring and that studio is going to say hey quit wasting our money because you know or we'll get somebody in here who can who can get this project done in in the in a twelve hour shoot day and without without you spending all our money. 
And how many days did it take you to shoot uh, Ruin Me? We shot in 15 days, uh, which is extremely fast for a feature-length film. Uh, and we did shoot one extra day of pickups. We shot 15 days in, in Muskegon, Michigan. Uh, and then we did uh, one extra day of sort of insert shots a few months later once we had edited a lot of the film. And we could see where there are a few places that we really just wanted to clarify some story points or make make something a little bit more emotional or a couple of our blood effects. You know, we have a couple of cool blood gags in the in the movie uh, and we wanted to, you know, make those look a little bit better. So we were able to do those actually in the DP, our director of photography's backyard. And he lived in San Francisco. So we all just we all just went up there and shot in his backyard. So now as you're, you know, as you're editing, the, you know, the film and everything, uh, and then you, like, put everything together and, like, oh, darn, we didn't get the right line or something was flubbed or we didn't get the right take. Now, do you have to call the, the actors from that scene back and say, okay, we're going back to the original place where we're filming and we got to redo this? Does that ever happen? That absolutely can happen. Um we, uh, on this film, because the budget was so limited, we knew that we probably couldn't go actually back to Michigan. So, uh, so what, what you have to do when, when you're editing and you realize those things, you just have to be super, super, uh, surgical about what you need. Uh, and some, so, uh, let me give you let me give you uh, concrete examples of both fixing it with additional photography and fixing something with sound. So, okay. um, it, it, so we have this. We have one of our cool coolest scenes in the movie is this big emotional beach scene. If you remember, right in the middle of the movie, it's got underwater shots. It's got a sound of somebody coming down a hill. So we realized that a couple we we needed to sh- we needed more close-ups of Marcian of our lead actress to really sell the emotional journey she was going through in that movie. But we knew that we that we couldn't afford to go back to Michigan, and it was the wrong season. It wouldn't have even matched. So what we did is we really surgically decided which moments we needed close-ups for, and. So we looked at the wide shots that we had already shot, and for a couple of close-ups in the beach scene, we reshot them in San Francisco. There is uh, against blue sky in the background, so you know it can match anywhere. But there was a little bit of this long beach grass in the foreground. Uh, mm-hmm. I went to Home Depot, went looked at Home Depot, and looked at or at Lowe's or one of those places that have a big garden center. Just looked at. I had a picture on my phone of what that beach grass looked like, and I just went around and looked at all their garden center, and I found grass that looked the same. And so you just place it right in the bottom of the frame, and you have just just licking the very bottom of the frame. You have this grass that looks the same, and all of a sudden, from that wide shot where she's on a beach in Michigan, now you cut to a close up. You've got a little bit of grass in the foreground. You've got blue sky in the background. You make her look the same. You have the makeup artist match her look. Costuming, lighting, you match all that stuff. And all of a sudden, when you cut those two things together, it looks like that close-up is shot on the beach in Michigan. But we were actually in the backyard in San Francisco. So that's And it's one funny, now that you told work. me that, now that you told mm-hmm. me that, I, I won't look at that scene the same way again. But mm-hmm. 
not before you told me that, I've I, I didn't know that. That's 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 absolutely cool. You know, it's it is it is so cool. It is so amazing. It is amazing even to me, and I I know intimately each shot, which is an insert. But you would just you cannot tell at all. Um, you cannot tell at all because you know talented people like our director of photography can match what he did. He knows how to light it to match what we did. You asked about like sort of line flubs or something like that, and that is through a process called ADR, automated dialogue replacement. And you bring the actors into a studio and they watch their performance on a screen and re-record lines to anything that you know wasn't recorded cleanly or that yeah, like you said, they flubbed or something like that. And so you know that's that's one of the reasons that you know the post process. So you know we shot the movie in a, in 15 days, right? So we were in Michigan for like I was there for like four weeks, six weeks, something like that. But we were in post on this movie for, you know, almost a year, finishing the editing, getting those additional shots, and then doing things like ADR. All, you know, all, I think five or six of the main actors had to come into the studio and do a couple of re-recordings of lines and things like that. But all of that stuff, if you have a talented sound designer, they just, they have ways of manipulating it to make it just fit in and sound natural as part of, as part of the movie. And, but that's why post takes so long. It's because you, you, you're doing all these things to make it perfect. Um, and we just, you know, we cared so, so much about this movie. All, my, myself and my four partners, all of us, we just, we just wanted it to be as good as we could possibly make it. So we didn't want to rush anything. And, you know, I'm sure you've heard about that, that old triangle, right? And the triangle right. uh, on each side of the triangle is, you know, cheap, fast, and good right? And you're allowed right. to pick two. And we knew it had to be cheap, and we knew it had to be good, so it couldn't be fast. So we just said, we are going to take our time and get this right, because we just cared so much about trying to make a good movie that would be entertaining and surprising and fun and emotional. And, you know, it's up to the audience to decide if we achieve that or not, but man, we, we tried so hard to, to do that, and hopefully we did it. And, uh, well, I'll tell you what, we got about uh, 12 minutes uh, left with you. One thing that we always have our guests do is we have our guests do a little uh, uh, liner promo. Liner, remember, it's called a liner. There we go. Because he always says promo, and and we talk to a lot of wrestlers. When they say promo, they're thinking they're cutting like something for a match or something. No, liner, good, good. He's he's learning. He's learning slowly, but he's learning. All right. So basically what you'll say is you'll say your name. Uh, You're listening Mm -hmm. to the Attitude Era Live with the icon, the big swing, and Granny Hawkster, and then you can say whatever else you want, and I'll count you down from five. We have to do a couple takes. You know about a couple takes, and uh, oh yeah, we'll, and we'll uh, then we'll come back, ask you a few more questions, and we'll let you go. Uh, uh, plan on writing up my contract for your next movie. Nice. <laughs> okay, give give it to me again. You're listening to the Attitude Air Live <clears throat> with the Icon, the Big and Swing, who, uh, and Granny Hawkster. The Big Swing, Big Swing, and Granny Hawkster. I love it. Yep. All right, ready? Here we go. Five, four, three, two, one. I'm filmmaker Preston D. Francis, and you are listening to the Attitude Air Live with the icon, the big swing, and Granny Halster. There you go. One take. All right. I love it. Uh, (laughs) any, Any notes? Any notes? No, it was great. It was great. Um, 
So uh, what I did was, uh, you know, I under I understand if you know if you don't uh, get any DVDs or anything, but maybe you, uh, you know, I sent you the address. Maybe you can send us some autograph pictures or posters or something, whatever, whatever you yeah. can. Yeah, uh, we appreciate yeah, whatever you can do. For you got and it. And I, you I got am it. curious about that, you know. And everybody knows that I always ask uh, whenever you have somebody famous on. I always ask this, but you know, I'll tell you what. I would like to be involved in the next project, and the thing is. And uh, people think that I'm just doing an ego statement here, but if you were to have me in your next film, even as a cameo, when you come back to Fargo, I guarantee you that theater will be sold out. Back oh, to Fargo? Cool. No, I when believe, did they ever even it. been to Fargo? I believe it. He, well, he, he was did in, go uh, Fargo. I, no, I, I know. I, I can't. You could be in a horror movie, and you could be in one of his, his projects. Think, think of it this way. It's like they just pan the camera to your face and and then everyone's like oh my god and it's like the scariest movie of the year <laughs> like 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 Love it's it. like the old blair witch it's like the old blair witch project sort of feel you know like put it like mm-hmm. real close mm-hmm. to you so like all you see is your nostrils you just breathe heavily yeah that'd be awesome that, that would be like awesome it. yeah so uh now, uh, real quick here, we, we, we're going to wrap it up here because uh, I know that uh, you're a busy guy and everything, and we do want to thank you uh, for, from taking time out of your schedule uh, to join us, and we appreciate it. But I've always one other thing I've always been curious on, on movie sets, you know, you, know, you have actors that are, you know, they have, to, they have to act a certain way on camera, do their lines and everything, and then, you know, you have your downtime, like when you're not filming. Uh, is it tough for everybody uh to get along on this you know when you're not filming you guys are hanging out or you let everybody do their own thing what what goes into that detail if you can just give us a quick little tidbit on that yeah yeah so um it it is very interesting a lot of people liken film sets to summer camp because like in summer camp you are with this group of people for a defined set of time and it's a very intense time because everyone is working really hard there's a lot of pressure um, and a lot of these people you're never going to see again sometimes you know hey maybe some of the people will come back next year for summer camp but a lot of these people you'll never see again so uh, you, you know in that environment you get the great and the best and you also get some tough tough things um, you know, uh, sometimes are, um, can, uh, you know, some actors can have fragile egos or can have a very different process than other actors. And so sometimes their needs are, can be different. Uh, sometimes even that this can apply to crew members because sometimes crew members can, can get an ego or can, or can, you know, think that they are better than everyone else or something like that. And also what, what can be a little bit tough and I, I see this coming from the perspective of the person who is the director is that, you know, yes. Okay. So you work all day on your set, And then as the director, you know, on the set, I'm the guy who's in charge and the guy who's calling the shots. And then, you know, you call rap and everybody goes home and, but you're still hanging out with that same group of people. And, you know, you, do, I, I, I don't want to bring that same energy like to us hanging out. I just want to be, you know, I'm just a guy hanging out with everyone i i don't want to be the one who's in charge but but you know there there is sort of that carryover from working in the day of of that same energy of 
and so it, it can it can be a challenging environment. Um, but I can also say, you know, for me, it's it's so rewarding. The times in my life when I've gotten to direct a film, um, you know, this is my first feature, but then the shorts that I've done and things like that, they are the times that I look back on with the most with so, some of the most fondness because because it, uh, of the relationships and the great people and and just the, the collaboration of all all of these people who are really good at their jobs who are really passionate about about them coming together to make something and and that that's just the greatest feeling in the world when you when you can bring these people together to to try to you know when you're building a film you're building something out of nothing and that is such it's such a fun process to be a part of. Awesome. You know, and uh, I'll say this because it's me and everybody, Granny Hawkster and uh, Big Swing knows this is coming. You, you let me be part of your next project. I guarantee I will keep the, I'll keep everybody entertained on camera and off camera. I believe it, Icon. I believe it. And uh, I, I appreciate it. And then, uh, Hope to uh, hear from you uh, in the next couple months, and also, uh, uh, um, and like I say, I'll even work for free. Um, you know, as long as I get a hot so dog cool. and stuff. Wow, like that. it's so and, cool! Uh, I just, I really appreciate. How can you pass you that off? I, I know, I know. I really appreciate you being just, you know, just being an advocate and a fan of the film, and you, you, you know, just for a little film like for, like mine to have to have. Someone passionate and excited about it really means the world, and 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 I thank so much for for being on. This was really fun to talk with you guys. Awesome, and uh, we appreciate it, and uh, thank you so much. And uh, if we didn't uh, scare you away too much, uh, like your movie will do to a lot of people, uh, scare them. Uh, would you be willing to come on with us again at some point? Absolutely, I would love it. I would love it. And uh, I'll also let you guys know, he I do have his phone number. He's one of the few that has given me his phone number that does not have a restraining order against me. Yes. <laughs> yes, that's yes. right, that's right. Yeah, he's All also right. not thank, female. Thank so you, President. We appreciate it. You are awesome, and uh, I thank you so much. Keep it up, guys. Have, have a good rest of the show, okay? Thanks, you as well. Thank you. Thanks, Preston. See you later. Thank you, guys. singing along with it. Uh, again, great, great interview there. Um, always fun when we have a non-wrestler on just to, you know, get their take on things. Like whenever we have actors or movie directors or, you know, baseball players, managers, whatever it may be on with us, it's always good to sort of take a step away from the wrestling world for a minute and talk to them. And, um, you know, that movie has been getting crazy reviews. A lot of people love it. It's got that that sort of independent raw horror feel to it, uh, and uh, you know, I'm obviously I'm anxious to see it. 
And, you know, uh, I don't know if you guys have yet, but uh, I'm excited. I, I'm a horror movie buff anyway, so. Uh, and, uh, hey, uh, you guys heard it here. I might have a, I might have a little cameo in this next film, which would be awesome, wouldn't it? Well, well, well you'll, you'll work for free, which is dumb because now he's going to hold you to that. Right. And it's on. You know, because so, now, and, like, uh, hey, um, exactly. Now uh, when you say, hey, quick. where's my royalty check? You'll be like, you said it worked for free. Well, at least give me a yes, hot dog. Hey, real quick here. Well, yeah. uh, I want to announce uh, that uh, we are going to have uh, Jade Hart and Paul Pitch. Uh, they are the uh, uh, CEO and uh, uh, CEOs of uh, sharpshooterfunding.com. Uh, nice. which Jade Hart, of course, is Brett the Hitman Hart's daughter. And also that yes. show uh, on July 16th, we're going to have Natalie Byrne. She's a great actress. Nice. Uh, she's also did a great horror film, and she's done uh, a lot of great stuff. She's going to talk to us. And, uh, hey, she loves the icon, and I have her phone number. She hasn't put a restraining order on but me either. But he doesn't love the icon. The icon is badass. Right. And then I'll also let you guys know next week before our, our next guest calls in, uh, we're going to have Texas uh, Wrestling Entertainment on with us. Uh, we're going to have okay. Robbie Wolf from the American Pickers. Is going to be on with us. Oh yeah, and uh, Robbie. We're supposed to have we're supposed to have Dennis Ramondi on with us. Uh, he was good friends with Andy Kaufman. He's going to talk. He was going to talk yep. to, but he might not be able to make it. So we what about may Dennis Rodman? So, That'd be awesome. Yeah, we may have Sylvester J. Fox on with us next week. Ooh, Sly. Haven't yep. talked to him in a while. Yep. So he's still, he's still uh, yeah, using the golf so, club. Yeah, as a matter of fact, he used that golf club to win the uh, Fargo Championship. He holds the belt. And uh, Oh, nice. Whoa, wait, wait, he holds the belt. I thought right he was now? just a manager. I didn't think he was well, a, I didn't he, think he was actually West. He is. Well, he cheated to win the title and he will not defend it against me. So, right here on this show, huh. I'm going to challenge him to a fight. Stay tuned. Nice. You don't want to miss it. All right. Okay. So, our next so guest is going in shortly. Yeah, yes. and uh, yeah, so we're gonna have fun. And um, uh, also, so let me ask you: uh, When do you think? Okay, continue. Okay, and also, you know, uh, there's a couple wrestlers. Uh, I want to pitch yeah. the show right now. July second, we're gonna have the American Giant, Giant David uh, Belsner on with us. Um, and okay. uh, the deal is, he's been having a little uh, a tiff with a wrestler on uh, this particular site. So I booked him on to talk about it, and apparently the guy that he's been feuding with didn't appreciate yep. the fact that I did not ask him to be on the show first. So ah. he has he has told me that good old, um, good, old good old jealousy, you know, jealousy and envy. Yeah, he has told it. me that uh, because uh, uh, I did not invite him on, he may call in and uh, ruin our show. So we'll see. Nice. Sounds like Granny may have right. to play referee. <laughs> oh boy. Oh Please boy. Do. Yeah, you might have to get Please in the middle do. of this one. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's all right though, because Icon, you know, there's always two sides to everything. Icon comes on and says this, this, and this, and the person calls in and says, "Oh wait, you did blah blah blah." And, you know, there's always two sides to every story. So I'm 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 gonna uh, play devil's advocate here and give the benefit of the doubt uh, until I hear both sides, but. Uh, one quick question. We do have our other caller on uh, Icon, but 
me ask you this. How long do you think Braun Strowman is going to hold this money in the bank before he finally cashes in on Roman? Or excuse me, on uh, Lesnar. Is it going to be an official match? And he's going to say, I'm cashing it in at SummerSlam and I want to match with you? Or you think Braun Strowman's going to take the traditional cash-in route and, you know, they're going to have it be, you know, uh, Roman Reigns or whoever versus Brock Lesnar, and he's going to cash in during that match? Well, I think I think actually what's going to happen is I think he's going to uh, – he, he doesn't need to sneak attack on Lesnar, but I think uh, – I don't think he will. I think he'll, he'll do like a John Cena did, and uh, he'll say, hey, I'm cashing in here, so this is what you got to do, you know? The match, yeah, yeah, I think he'll go that way too. Uh, Strowman's so big, he doesn't need to. He doesn't need to sneak attack route. But anyway, Icon, same thing again. I'm learning to step aside and uh, bring the Yankees back to the local broadcast, and then switch back to national. So I'm gonna let you do your thing. This is the interview we have all been waiting for. Uh, I know Icon's had jitters all week uh, getting to talk to this individual, and um, you know, I know it's it's gonna be a a lot of a lot of good stuff coming out of this one. So again, Icon, I will let you do your thing. I will be here in and out. Ready Holster is here as well, and the intern is patching them through right now. Ladies and gentlemen, stepping out of the green room and walking down that aisle, the greatest son of any professional wrestler in history. A great friend of mine. His father was my hero. His father was my father's hero. And without trying to get emotional here, I want to bring on Colton Toombs. Hey, buddy. Hey, how you doing, man? Well, you know, the the tears are flowing already. Um I've dedicated this show to your dad and to my dad, and uh, I thank you for joining us, and uh, I'm going to try and get through this without getting too emotional, but uh, um, it's great to have you. Uh, What's the fun in that, man? Get emotional. Let's talk about the emotional stuff, you know? That's what makes it fun. Obviously, you know, we're in the same boat with our dad, so it's pretty cool, man. I'm glad to be here, and uh, I'm really psyched. As you know, Sarah, my beautiful wife, set it up, and she's the one here. I'm really glad we got connected, man. So thank you for having me, because without you guys, we're nothing. Yeah, without you guys promoting us and pushing us and putting our names out there, we don't mean to lick. So I really do appreciate you, and thank you for the opportunity, sir. All right. Well, first off, there's one thing I want to clear uh, clear up, and then uh, we'll uh, we'll talk. Well, I'll ask all the questions that I have uh, in the time that we have. Uh, there's been a lot of stuff on the the internet going on about Ronda Rousey uh, stealing your father's gimmick and uh, using the name Rowdy and everything, and how it's uh, you know a bad thing to copy Rowdy Roddy Piper. Can you help us set the record straight that uh, you and your family allowed her to use that uh, in her persona? Yes, of course I can. I can just tell you exactly what happened, make it nice and simple. So what happened was, obviously, uh, Ronda trained under Judo Jean LaBelle, who's the same gentleman who trained my dad and myself and other great men like Chuck Norris, Bruce Lee, all these great men. And uh, they had crossed paths. And uh, Ronda, being a huge fan of dads and knowing at that time probably she was going into the wrestling business because she's a smart lady thinking ahead, asked if she could use the rowdy name and they hooked up on his podcast and said she, he said yes. And, uh, 
And so it kind of went on to there. She went on with her UFC career and all this stuff. And then when Dad passed, obviously, uh, that's when she started to get into the WWE. And I got the most gracious call in the world from her asking uh, after he had passed, uh, basically our permission to continue with it. And, you know, not something she had to do. She had his, she had his permission, the man's permission. Uh, so it's not something she had to do. She came to us and was very, very kind and asked if she could continue to use it. And, I mean, obviously, it's a business. If you're Rowdy Ronda Rousey and Roddy Piper had said, use my gimmick, why wouldn't you? I mean, a lot of people, this is one thing that gets me, a lot of people give her a really, really hard time because she's out there, she's wearing the kilt, she's doing all that, right? So everybody's saying she needs to earn it. She hasn't earned it, hasn't put in the time. I'd like any one of you guys, including myself, if the WWE called and said, I'm going to throw a kilt on you and put you out there and make you a main eventer, how many of us really would say no? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So. Oh yeah. So I have, oh, we have nothing. She's been nothing but gracious to our family and great. And man, she really is kicking butt. The only thing that did a little make me a little sour in the beginning was it is my heritage, my father. I trained my whole life to do that. And luckily, the only way that she's getting around it is she's really carrying it on for the ladies. So I still have a shot to come in there if I'm good enough and do it for the men and carry my dad's le- legacy in that way. And that is one thing that's a little hard. Right after he passed, it kind of took fire real quick, and she got a lot of steam. And sure, I can see I was a little bit bitter, absolutely. But, you know, you live and learn, and after some time has passed by and that kind of stuff, I really see it as an advantage. I mean, she's making kids, young kids that were into her UFC, UFC career and now into her WWE career, and now they know about Dad, kids that didn't even know about him. So it puts his uh, legacy out there even more, and it's turned out to be a really incredible thing. And she, I mean – as much hard press as she gets, and how much you know, people tend to either hate her or love her. To, to us, she's been nothing but a fabulous woman, and just been absolutely great to us. Awesome. And so now, for all the haters out there, it's clear. So you guys can stop hating. Good. Now that we got that. <laughs> now, um, there's uh, there's several things I want to talk to you about. Um, you know. I remember seeing you, I believe you were, correct me if I'm wrong about the age, I probably am, but I believe you were five, six, or seven uh, when you appeared on a WCW Monday Nitro, and um, your 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 dad was talking about, um, you know, not wanting to fight anymore, he had nothing else to prove, and you were in the ring, and Paul Hogan came down, and they were going to attack your dad, and this and that, and you were there. Do you remember that? Absolutely. How old were you? Uh, you know, let's see here. About six years old. Okay. Now, I remember how every time I watch that clip, how emotional I get because of how your dad protected you in the ring. Reminded me a lot of how my dad has always protected me. And um, it was it was very emotional. Every time I see it, I I always I always break down and cry when I see it. Did what is your main memory of that segment when you were there? You know, so one of the big things for me when you're a six year old kid surrounded by giants like that, it's terrifying. But you don't realize when there's three four men in there all pushing over two hundred fifty pounds, how much that ring really moves. I mean, it almost feels like you're on a boat. You're swaying with every step. It's moving. It's a scary thing to be in. 
I remember coming in there originally and just being terrified, but my dad and I have been, we, we've been best friends forever. I mean, literally since I'm the only son, so we had a really good connection. And uh, I remember being real scared about the first 30 seconds, minute, two minutes. And at one point, dad kind of looked at me and just grabbed my shoulder because he could tell I was tense. Because he was dad, he knew me that well. And he just touched me, I look up, and it's dead. And everything just floats away. And I know no matter what happens, none of those guys are going to hurt me because my dad's there. And uh, as you know, man, if your dad's there, you always feel safe. You always feel like you can accomplish more than you probably can. They can always push you to do more than you think you can. And that's one of the first situations in that where I was really, truly scared and terrified of what I had to do. But because dad was there, he me. Now, uh, you um, you have, uh, I believe, uh, you have uh, six other sisters, is that correct? Or yes, cause so. you mentioned your only son. Uh, yep. Roddy, so I have three sisters. Yeah. He used to uh, say that he had six kids. And the truth on that was there's three sisters, three daughters, one son, and he had two goats. And uh, young goats are called kids. <laughs> But being the hot Scott Roddy Piper, six kids sounds better than four, doesn't it? <laughs> right. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it is. You know, it's funny how you laugh like that because you laugh just like your dad did. You know. <laughs> oh. You, <laughs> thank so you, thank you man. Yeah. Now, uh, fast forward a little bit. Uh, yep. You know, if you know, if you don't want to talk about this, I'll understand. But. Uh, when I first heard uh, that your father had cancer, you know, here here is my thought: that cancer had finally made us match because nothing can take down the hot rod. You know, you're 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 there's no way, and and it didn't beat your dad for the longest time, and it it to me it never did. But when did you find out about it, and how did he tell you about it? You know, when uh, so when we found out Dad had cancer, it was actually a really crappy uh, situation. Pardon my language. Um, uh, so we were in the ho- I was young, and we were in the hospital visiting my great grandma. And my dad had happened to be checked into the same hospital, and we were upstairs because my dad had just found out he had cancer, and he needed a few minutes to kind of figure out how to tell the family. So we went upstairs to great grandma's room. We're saying hi, and lo and behold, she dies in front of us. Yeah, this is our we, oh, our no. family's very, oh yeah, our family's very very close. So we come back downstairs and we're all, I mean we're just petrified. We're crying. We're doing everything. I'm young. I'm bawling. I'm snotting and tearing. Then Dad has to tell us he has cancer, and it was one of those moments where like, when your great grandma dies, that's that's one thing. It's your great grandma. I mean to a point you kind of expected that kind of thing. But your dad, especially my dad. I mean I'd watched him be run over by cars stabbed, beaten over and over, and I truly thought he was invincible. But to see the look in his eyes, especially after something like that, uh, when he tells you he has cancer, after that had happened, it almost just wiped out what happened to great-grandma because, not saying that, you know, it wasn't a really hard thing, but when your dad tells you that and looks in your eyes, it's uh, it's different. And as you know, I know you thought your dad was invincible too, man. It's just the way we think they are as sons. Your dad is your hero. They're invincible. And he tells you that, and it's it's one of the hardest moments in my life I did a lot of growing up in that moment uh after that I ended up um a few years later when he started to go through the uh, radiation and treatment I didn't miss a single one we were together for the entire thing it was a six-month period and uh for the radiation the first portion and I made every single one with him and we went together and he would come out 
just a different man. But then he'd see me, and he'd raise his shoulders back, stand up, and he'd turn into dad again. I mean, no matter what happened and how hard it was, the second he got in front of me, he became that invincible man again. So, yeah, I truly did believe he was invincible. Yeah, and uh, my uh, my father, as a matter of fact, is uh, uh, if he's not listening to this, he's going to hear this. And, uh, you know, uh, he knows that uh, he's really the only hero I have. And right. uh, just like your father is your hero and my hero and, uh, you know, it's hard to find heroes. It's hard to call somebody a hero, but everybody knows that our fathers are the first heroes that we ever have. The first ones that we look up to, the ones that are always there for us, like your dad was yep. for you in the ring, like my dad is for me whenever I need him. He's always there, you know. Absolutely. And, uh, our our fathers are our rocks, and uh, Dad, I know you're listening, and I just want you to know I love you. Anyway, so as we move on, uh, I, like I say, I don't want to get too emotional here. Ah, um, uh, no, it's okay, man. That's okay. Don't worry just, about it. Well, everybody, a lot of people wouldn't expect that from the icon, so I I just will try not to do it. But now now we'll fast forward. Uh, I want to talk. We want to talk about uh, you a little bit now. Uh, when did uh, you start training? Okay, so uh, I started training. My first martial arts I took was Taekwondo, and I started that at four years old. And Dad had me go through, oh, man, maybe 16 different uh, senseis in different times in my life. And uh, so from about four years old until 16 when I made the decision that I wanted to give it a shot for a living. And then I went at 16 years old to a place called Team Quest in Portland, Oregon, and a gentleman named Matt Lindland, who's an Olympic medalist, took me under his wing and uh, beat me up for about two years, even though I thought I was – I mean, you do martial arts for 12 to 14 years. No matter how old you are, you think you're pretty tough. And then you walk in a ring with him, and it's a whole other ball game. The very first day, he did a uh, belly-to-back suplex but by holding my neck. So my neck was basically where his belly button is, and he's got me in a front headlock and straight over, instantly humbled, right? And uh, um, and so then I started training, and the first fight I had, I got so lucky. I had just been training. I was cleaning the mats at the gym. That's how I paid my dues. Uh, and the guy had dropped out, and they said, hey, two weeks, you want to fight? And I was like, absolutely. And uh, Dad flew in for it, and I ended up winning that one in 47 seconds. And then it was a great moment, man. It was awesome. It was like everything Dad and I had worked for for so long. And he never wanted me to be a fighter, but, you know, he wasn't going to say no either. He knew I loved it. I tend to have a knack for it, and so uh, it was a really good moment for us. And then I continued doing MMA, 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 and then a show called Portland Wrestling came on, uh, revamp of the old days Portland Wrestling. And I, <laughs> Dad loved to do this thing where I'd have no training for whatever he was throwing me into. So for pro wrestling, you should have some proper training and put your dues in for that sport. But again, about a week before, he said, hey, you're going to have your first pro wrestling match in a week. And we had one about 30-minute session in the fit in the like a group X area and a 24 hour fitness. And I was a pro wrestler a week later. And then the next year I ran around with him and did about 400 matches. Uh, and then we were really getting some momentum and it was really going good. And then he uh, passed away and it really did put a hitch in my step, man. Now you, uh, now uh, correct me if I'm wrong. You are as a wrestler undefeated. That is correct. I have managed to either run around and tire him out enough or sneak a win. I, 
I have, uh, in pro wrestling, I am 100% undefeated as of right now. And uh, are you willing to let us know what your MMA record is? Uh, yeah, so I had, uh, I've only lost once in MMA. See, I had four amateur fights and all together in pro between kickboxing and MMA. Go 17, 16, 17, lost one of them. Now, the one you lost, that's because the guy cheated, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, well, obviously, of course. <laughs> no, absolutely not. In that fight, uh, that man was better than me that day. It went the distance, and that gentleman just happened to have my number and uh, beat me on that day. I have no problem admitting that. I'm not going to lie. It was, I was bitter at first about it, but uh, you grow from a loss. And that gentleman had my number, and he definitely kicked my butt that day. So, um, and I'm going to, I'm going to ask another question. I know that Granny Hulkster and, uh, uh, Big Swing have some questions for you. I, I'm not going to take up all the time. Uh, no, you're good. We have you for another, yeah, we have you for another 30 minutes. So, uh, we want to make sure they get their questions in too, but do you, uh, have, uh, do you know, or, uh, when your next bout is going to be, are you training right now for it or are you kind of taking a little break or, um, what uh, what's your uh, next outlook for? Yeah, so when uh, Dad passed away, I took a break right then because it was real hard. Every ring I'd ever been in, Dad was there with me. So well, after he passed, and a few days had gone by, it's like, okay, let's get back into it. And it just uh, it wasn't the same. So I took about a year off and then started training again. And now I'm actually here in Vegas uh, helping start up a pro wrestling company called CWR, Classic Wrestling Revolution, which would, hope- would hopefully uh, – start up here and be a whole new uh, ball game for wrestling. We're trying to make it a completely different thing than what you're normal and but still true to pro wrestling. So that is what I'm working on right now. And, uh, and after Dad passed, I took some time to write the book and try to be scholastically awesome, which I'm not. So writing a book was very difficult. <laughs> uh, but we did that. Me and my sister, Ariel Teal, did that. We ran around. And, uh, yeah, now I'm full-time training for pro wrestling, and that is the goal, man. I want to do – and I don't feel I could ever be as good as Dad because in his eye, in my eyes, he's by far the best. No matter how good I can get, he's always going to be better. But I'm going to do the best I can, and that's uh, that's what I want, man. Now, with this uh, wrestling company, uh, are, are you uh, are you are you hiring? Uh, are you uh, looking for wrestlers to book wrestlers? Uh, do you uh, have plans on how long you want to go before you launch your first show and? Uh, when you are ready to do that, would you be willing to come on so we can uh, promote you uh, in your venture? Well, once we're ready to go, absolutely, I'd love to come on and promote it, man. I would love that opportunity. And, uh, yeah, so what had, where we're at right now is uh, there's investors and funding stuff, so a bunch of stuff that I don't understand. So, I'm, you know, I'm a pro wrestler. I'm the athlete. They tell me where to go, who to fight, and I fight them the best I can. Uh, but – because of my father's name, uh, people tend to want to invest more when gentlemen like me are uh, involved. But uh, I don't understand why. But they seem to want to. So, you know, it's a lot of uh, meetings, a lot of time, a lot of uh, trying to do it properly. Because this was dad's actually uh, baby. He was the one uh, spearheading this and doing it. And um, I kind of, they took me as a, a uh, second tier. I'm the second string guy they, they took up kind of because they had to. And I'm just doing my best to make them proud and live up to what I, I hope they hope I can be and what I think I can be, man. Well, you know, and can you imagine how much more funny you get if you had the uh, icon involved with you? Oh, man, I mean, come on. It's a dream team. There you go, you know. 
And uh, you know, do you know uh, what uh, icon stands for? I cower over no one. I cower over nothing. I cower over nothing. Oh, okay. Right. Nothing. Exactly. I, I, I made that correct. mistake to dad a long time ago. I said the same thing, and uh, he corrected me quickly. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, now uh, you uh, you had mentioned a little bit ago uh, about this book. I'm going to ask you some questions about that. But, uh, yep. Granny, uh, I'll let, let you ask a few questions. And, Big Swing, if, if you're there, uh, go ahead, you guys. Uh, Granny, I know you got some. All well, right, guys, hit me. All, what do you got? First of all, it's uh, it's a true honor to get to speak to you because my husband, my son, and I, we are huge wrestling fans. I mean, and I'm proud to say my age. I'm 55 years old, and I love wrestling, and I love your dad. I was a huge fan of your dad. Piper's Pit, I mean, I loved your dad. He was awesome. I mean, I loved him. And I go to a lot of independent wrestling shows. I live in Arkansas, and I go to a lot of independent shows. And I actually have a friend over in Oklahoma that does independent wrestling shows for kids that have got cancer called Wrestling for a Cause. So, you know, it's just amazing. So I guess just tell us one of your most memorable events that you shared with your dad. I'm sure you had a lot, you know, but maybe your most memorable event, if you can recall something. Most memorable event with dad. Wow. I mean, we did a lot of stuff. I mean, our last tour we did together was uh, about two months. We went from Scotland to Aruba to Newfoundland. And, I mean, we went to Japan. I mean, we've just, since I've been six years old, we've been connected by the hip and I've gone everywhere with him. So there's a lot of really good ones, but one that really, really stood out to me. And it was when I really realized uh, the power of dad and not necessarily in the way of a uh, tough in fighting, but a gentleman had come up and just told his story to us of how he was going to kill himself. And he just, he just couldn't live on any longer, but something had happened and he saw dad and it pulled him out of it. I mean, this gentleman was in the process of doing it and dad had pulled him out of it. And in that moment, when that gentleman came up to dad and just was cheery eyed and you could see the trueness in his heart and, uh, that was one of the biggest moments I realized. I was probably about 14 years old about the power that dad had. And that's the point I realized, wow, I want to help people like that. If I can help one person in my life the way that he helped this gentleman, then that is I will have succeeded in everything I've ever wanted to do. So that is one of the most memorable moments for me is when I really realized the power and the reach that my dad had. Because uh, before that, you know, you see him on TV, everybody says he's great. Uh, but he's just dad to you until there's a moment, an epiphany moment. Uh, and that was it for me when I really, truly saw what he what he accomplished, become, and how he had touched and helped people. That was a big one for me. So I'd have to say that's my most memorable moment about dad. Well, that's that's awesome. I mean, now, you know, I, I mean, now I know your dad at times, you know, a lot of people, you know, considered your dad to be the heel, you know, and everything. And I got to tell you a little story about Granny. I mean, okay. I got this nickname from a friend of mine because I love wrestling. And so I have an original shirt. It says, what you going to do when Granny Hulkster goes crazy on you? And I start wearing it to these independent shows. And my name, 15, 16 years later, has still stuck with me. And now Granny normally will not cheer for the bad guys. I don't like the heels. I don't like the bad guys. matter of fact, this event that we were at over the weekend, it was a – called the Ryder Cup Herring Memorial Show, and it was a two-day event, which is their first time doing this, and they had a 16-man bracket 
uh, for the to win the, the the trophy, you know, and everything. So I I holler at the bad guys, you know, but but I still you know I I still love your dad. He was he was always one of my favorite wrestlers back in the day. And but you, I mean, I love wrestling. I love helping get the crowd going. Um, gosh, I, I I just I love it and. It's so much fun. I mean, I can holler and talk smack to the best of these guys sometimes. <laughs> oh yeah, he he really was. He was one of the he's one of the worst, but you loved him for. You loved to hate him, and he just no matter how good your good guy you were rooting for was, my dad was just a step ahead and just a little more witty and a little quicker. And uh, it was hard to not to love him, man. Although there are a few people that definitely hated him over the years, but man. I love everything about that story, except that you chose to go with a Hulkamaniac shirt rather than a Piper one. <laughs> well, you know, hey, 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 you know, no, no, I had a friend, I had a friend make that shirt for me, so, you know. It, no excuses, you I wore have, the shirt. <laughs> well, you know, but yeah, I, I asked my co, I asked my coworker, I said, what's the name with Granny Holster? He, he says, I'm going to start calling you Granny Holster. I said, Why? He says, you like wrestling. And I said, well, yeah, I like wrestling. But I honestly didn't think it was ever going to stick with me. But there was a company that ran in Arkansas called Traditional Championship Wrestling, and they still show the old reruns down in Little Rock, Arkansas. And they would televise their wrestling shows. And, I mean, I, I actually had Tommy Dreamer take my cane out of my hand and use it on Matt Riviera, the last wrestling yeah. show that TCW did, you know. So, I mean, I've had, I, I've had dinner with Hacksaw Jim Duggan and Tommy Dreamer, so that was pretty awesome back in the day. But I was still an, I was still a big, huge fan. And my family, my husband and my son, loved your dad, too. I mean, my son's 31 years old, and he loved Roddy Piper, and he, he thought he was awesome. You know, and the thing God, is, but... the thing is you, you mentioned that, it's like, you know, when you think about it, though, I mean, she goes by Granny Hulkster. If she wouldn't have went by Granny Hot Rod, they would have maybe thought she was a little old lady from Pasadena or something. <laughs> oh, you, you're funny, Icon. You are funny tonight. I'll well, tell you. you know, Granny, you, Granny Hot Rod. Wow, that that would have been different. Well, you know, it's like what, what, what I always liked about your dad is how uh, when, uh, you know, you could tell that he was upset with somebody and he'd always do that. <laughs> you know, uh, oh yeah. You know, like when, like when he confronted Eric Bishop. Now, now you can answer this question. Then I want to talk to you about the book. Now, uh, I remember when he first con- uh, uh, confronted Eric Bischoff, and that's when uh, Eric Bischoff turned uh, as the leader of the NWO. When he said, "Now, when you walk up to my ranch in Portland, is the path crooked or is it straight?" So we want you to answer the question, is the path crooked or is it straight as you walk up to the door? To the ranch in Portland, huh? Yeah, that's what, what makes you think there's a path. <laughs> well, that's what uh, your, your dad asked Eric Bischoff that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm not so giving it away, not in a million years. Okay. That's a All secret, right. so I find. You can't pry him out of that secret. That's a secret. Oh, no. That so, ranch has been a stronghold for, what, 30 years now? Mm-mm. No, mm-hmm. sir. <laughs> so uh, so does that mean that uh, you'll probably never invite you to hang out with you then, I guess? No, I was never invited. <laughs> no, 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 no. You and So would you ever invite me to come hang out with you? 
Oh, you and me. Oh, absolutely. Well, that's a different story. But the thing okay. is, I All get right, you there's... drunk enough that even if it's straight, it looks crooked. Well, <laughs> oh. There you go. Hey, you, you guys heard it here. Because, you know, uh, eventually, you know, when you get to – the thing is, uh, you know, me and the Big Swing, you know, we have this uh, we have this great radio show here. What we would love to do is if if it – you know, when yours, when yours becomes the top wrestling promotion in Vegas, because you are – because you have the drive and because you are who you are, we would like to come Thanks. and do a live show at your at your event and broadcast. We would love that, man. Well, you hey, I, I thought absolutely. you better you better include Granny on going on that trip too. You know, so you can't. Oh, you, you as long as you bring leave, the cane, we're good leave. to go, Granny. I oh, Definitely. honey, I got plenty. I got plenty of canes. I mean, I got a fold up cane. I got plenty of canes. You want a cane? Granny can provide. I tell you. Yeah, I, I love it. She, she's even got one of those hurricanes. <laughs> no, I don't have one of those. <laughs> Just a fold-up uh, uh, one because that's what Tommy used on that. <laughs> yeah, and as you can see, I've already debuted. Uh, I, I'd be a, what I can do is I can do a ring announcing and podcasting at the same time. That's a skill. There you go. So now you had mentioned you had mentioned a, a book. Could you tell us a little bit about this book that you were talking about? What is it about and who wrote it and how long it took you and all that? Yeah, absolutely. So the book is called Rowdy, the Rowdy Piper story, and it uh, it was written by myself and my beautiful sister Ariel Teal Toombs. Uh, I did most of the work. She did the uh, stick figures that were drawn in the back. I did everything else. Uh, it was uh, so. Dad had actually started this book. He went on a tour. And he talked to his sister. So dad was trying to find himself. He was trying to, there was so much uh, mystique built up around dad. And there's certain parts of his life that he just completely forgot most of his childhood and uh, becoming a young man. And it all for him, it all really started with pro wrestling and anything before that, you know, near 13 to 15 years old and pro wrestling, everything before that kind of gets washed away. So he was really trying to find out who he was and go back there. So he started these interviews and done all this, hadn't put anything on paper yet. And then uh, he passed away, and the, a gentleman named Craig Payette with uh, Random House um, came to us and asked if uh, we would pick up where my father left off uh, so that his story could get told. Otherwise, it would have to be canned, and there would be no chance at it. And uh, this is about three weeks after my dad passed away, which is not really when I wanted to go listen and hear about my dad 24-7 for the next six to seven months to a year and talk about it. So it was really rough, but uh, we did it. And uh, we were able to write it with uh, the beautiful people at Random House. I mean, I, like I said earlier, I am not scholastically awesome. I can't tell you what a comma or apostrophe even looks like. I'm pretty sure they're one and the same. No, no, is that right? No, I don't even know. So they were able to go through all my jibber-jabber and make it into this beautiful book, and my sisters as well, make it into this beautiful book that told a great story about Dad. And it's one of the only true timelines of his life, which is really, really special to us. So it was a really hard project, uh, but we did it. And um, it's called Rowdy, the Roddy Piper story. And it's the true story about my dad, Roderick George Toombs, not Roddy Piper. I mean, sure, Roddy Piper's on the cover, but before he was Roddy Piper, he was Roderick George Toombs. And uh, it really tells you why he was the way he was and why he was so tough and so quick, because he really had to be to survive. And it's uh, one hell of a story, man. Now, here's the thing. Now, here's how up I am on your family and how much I love your family. Now, oh, yeah. uh, the sister the sister that uh, you wrote the book with, is this the same sister that was born in the Presbyterian Hospital in Charlotte, North Carolina? No, you're close. That's the oldest sister. This is the uh, second oldest. 
Ariel. So she was born in Hillsborough, Oregon, the same hospital I was born in. Okay. See, uh, uh, see, I, I'm up on your family history. I know all about it. You know. You do, man. And my oldest sister was born in Charlotte, man. You, you got it. Not many people know that. A, that's, yeah, it's a Presbyterian hospital. That's right. There you go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> see, like I say, I love your family. I, I'm definitely up on it. Uh, and uh, and you know what I'm talking about. No one else will uh, know what I'm talking about. But uh, that uh, one item I was going to buy from you, if uh, I understand if you sold it, if you still have it, I'll get you the money. If you had to sell it, I understand if you know what I'm talking about. I do, sir. I know, sir. I've kept it for you, man. Okay, I will get. I, I get paid this week. I'll get. I'll get you the first payment, and then uh, we'll go from there. And I appreciate it. And then uh, that also that little. Uh, since my father's listening, you know that little uh, care package thing that we talked about earlier. We able to. I absolutely do, man. And I dug around and I skimmed and scoured and I found one for you, brother. I got it. Awesome. You can tell your father it's on the way, man. Awesome. Cool. Now uh, we still have another. I don't know, 15 minutes here with you. One thing we want to do is we always have all our guests do a little uh, liner uh, promo thing for us. Uh, Basically what it is, is you'll say your name, hi, my name is, uh, and if you need to write this down, I'll understand. Uh, (laughs) You're listening to to the Attitude Era Live with the icon, the big swing, and Granny Hulkster, and then you can say whatever else you want. And uh, we'll we'll record you, and then if we have to do a couple takes, we'll do that. I'll count you down okay. five, and we'll see what happens. So, all right. So one more time, you got Granny. The uh, run the names by me one more time. The icon, the big swing, yep. and Granny Hulkster. Icon, big swing, Granny Hulkster, and you're listening to Attitude Era Live. Yep, and you yep. say your name, of course. And now, what oh, we'll I, do I is... forgot that part. What was that? The hard one, man. <laughs> Right. You say, hey, this is cold, too, or whatever you want to say. Um, the the hot rod stun or something. Anyway, whatever you want to say. It's up to you. And, uh, uh, hold on. I'm going to write your names down so I don't mess them up. My wife's right here making me do it. I'm here trying to wing it. So I got okay. – all right. I got Icon. All right. Do the, the names for me one more time, brother. I don't want to mess it up for you. Okay. The Icon, the yep. Big Swing, and Granny Hulkster. And Granny Holster. Yeah, she's thinking of changing I love that one. To, she's thinking of changing her name to Holster. No, I'm kidding. Okay. Right. <laughs> now, the Attitude Era Live. All right, and that's the name of your show, right, brother? Attitude Era Live, right. and you're the okay. icon. Yep. yep, there we go. All right, so let's, let's try it. Ready? Five, four, three, two, one. This is Colt Toom, son of Hall of Fame wrestler Rowdy, Roddy Piper. You're listening to the Attitude Era Live with the icon, the Big Squeen. Ah, one more time, Big Squeen. Damn it. I usually get those first try, too. Now I'm mad. Well, I'll tell you what. It was going so well, too. I mean, just think, I could have edited his name out. You could have kept going, but that's all right. right. Oh, no, I like it to be perfect. Sure. All right. Five, four, three, two, one. This is Colt Toom, son of Hall of Fame wrestler Rowdy Roddy Piper. You're listening to the Attitude Era Live with the icon, the big swing. Swing, swing. I got to do it right, man. I got to do it one more time. Why swing so hard? Swing, swing. The big swing. I got it. One more time. Here we go. All right. All right. Five, four, three, two, one. 
This is Colt Toon, son of legendary Hall of Famer Rowdy Roddy Piper. You're listening to the Attitude Era Live with the icon, the big swing, and the granny holster with their lethal cane. Perfect. Perfect. I love and the it. Thing is, yeah, perfect the third try. Dad would be rolling over okay. right now trying to kill it's me. Okay. Three tries. Okay. Well, here's, well, here's the deal, though. Uh, you, how you mentioned the, the whatever you said, the big swink or whatever it is. We're gonna. I'm gonna yeah. use well, that as how you, Of course, you're gonna use that one, right? No, I'm gonna well, use yeah, that as a How did you? Well, I was say, how did you know about the the, the lethal cane? I don't think we mentioned that. Show. Yeah. She oh, did. I told him about did. my cane, big swing. I oh, you did. Okay. Okay. Yes, yeah, I, 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 I mean, I've been hopping. Whatever brand is, I know. I know we got a Yankee thing, so. Hey, uh, huh? big swing. Uh, we we got about What's ten up? minutes left. Uh, I know that you got to have some uh, questions for uh, Colton, so go ahead. All well, right, honestly, swing. what do you got? Um, well, honestly, you guys have done a good job of um, of covering tonight in my absence. Uh, you know, with with, with the hard hitting questions, uh, because like I said, I I've had the Yankees, I've had to do post game and pre game and stuff like that. So I've I've been all over the place so far throughout the whole show, but um. I mean, I guess the main thing is is you know growing up with a with a father in the business, uh, you know was was it was it different for you? Did you feel different than other you know other kids? Um, because you were like, hey, my dad is not just as he a professional wrestler, but my dad is an iconic professional wrestler. I mean, did you did you have people that you know would either give you crap about that all the time or would want three things from you or expect things or I mean, what's it like being the kid of a of a legendary superstar? You know, it's different, man. It's uh, it's secluded and it's different. So yeah. one of the things you got to remember, there's people like, you know, Hogan's kids and uh, other other people's kids yeah, yeah. that were sons and daughters of the uh, best good guys in the world. Uh, I was the son of the number one bad guy and the only son in the world. So people felt like if they could beat me up or get their a notch on their belt beating me up, it was somehow knock my my father down a peg, which it wouldn't because at that time, shoot, anybody could beat me up. <laughs> so, But it was really different. I mean, I had a teacher one time. Uh, Dad had beaten somebody up on TV that was that person, that teacher's favorite wrestler, and I spent about a month in detention uh, because of it. They would pull us out of school and yell at oh, us wow. because of this. It was, oh, yeah, it was very different. And, you know, that would happen for a while, and then Dad would come down, and all of a sudden five teachers would be fired, and it was the best thing in the world because all of a sudden you're, you know, you're getting your payback. Uh, so there was it was good and bad. There was really awesome things like uh, during the backlot brawl, I got Goldust outfit that Dad ripped off of him because Goldust was kind enough to come to me and bring that to me, and those kind of things of uh, people just um, showing their respect for my father by doing things for me was a really really awesome thing to do. But it was also really really hard because uh, everybody wants to te- test your moxie and um, it can yeah. be really rough. And then you're trying to find yourself as a kid. I mean when you know you're 10 uh 15 years old that's when you're finding yourself as a man and everybody oh, you know yeah. you're roddy piper like my, my first fight they introduced me as roddy piper's son didn't even say my name i oh, trained wow. for you know two years i just got a, i finally got a break and got a shot didn't even say my name and it's stuff like mm-hmm. that that made it really hard to come into your own but then after time about you know 17 18 19 years old i realized what a true blessing it was and i didn't really look at it anymore as man this is extra hard people think it's easy on the spoiled rich brat all of a sudden it became you know what they can think what they want but i got this really cool situation and i can take advantage of it and do what i can with what i got um so it was a really different lifestyle man you had to you kind of had to have real thick skin and you had to get tough fast but 
again, there was cool things like at Disneyland, I got to go to all the front of the lines every time. So that was awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that, that is awesome. Yeah, well, man, people oftentimes are, are when, they're, when they're on camera uh, during a wrestling show, are oftentimes, you know, acting a certain way. Like they're acting like their character. But he just had so much, I guess, funk and moxie, and he had all that energy. I mean, was he anything like what you saw on TV when he was home? Or with the family, or, or just you guys? Yes and no. So, first off, he was always on. He was always perfect. He was always smart. But he wasn't that guy trying to cut you down and make you look bad and make himself look good. He was always trying to build us up. So he used his talents and his – I mean, he really truly had a master's in psychology. This guy was a genius, and he would use oh, yeah. that stuff to bring us up rather than down. He used to do this thing with me and my sister, Ariel. And it would be something simple. And like we did this since we were five years old. He'd say, okay, Ariel, you're the color blue. Colt, you're the color red. You both argue and convince me why I should pick which color. Just, just whatever it was could be Ford, Chevy, anything, just to get us to think outside the box and be able to uh, manipulate and change people's minds into what you want. And that's a lot of what a lot of people don't understand. Is that's a lot of what wrestling is. is. You're giving them and feeding them things that you don't want. Like there's this one thing. It's called simulation. And our, a simulation. And so, like, if you go in for – I'm getting really into it now. So if you go into a job interview and there's a gentleman there and you're, you know, 30 other guys there, why is he going to hire you? What you want to do is you want to do things that are called a simulation. So if this guy has a certain tick, you want to do it, but not in a way that he's going to know if you're doing it. But it makes him look – it makes him see himself in you and therefore like what he sees. So you can research this guy. Say he loves golf. You mentioned that, oh, you know, last Saturday the golf course and this happened. And that's all you say about it. And you go on to an experience. And it's ways to manipulate people through psychology. And this is stuff that he would do to bring us up, but then at the same time teach us this that would give us just this amazing um, ability to get ahead in life. Like, I can hustle pool like nobody's business because of that. <laughs> uh, so he would use those, those powers and those tools that he had to bring us up and teach us this education that you can't get anywhere else. And so, yes, he was very much Roddy Piper at home. But at the same time, I mean, I used to cuddle with that until the day he died. I'd wake him up in the morning, and I'd jump right in bed with him. He was that kind of guy. We'd sit there, and we'd watch um, uh, Michael Collins first thing in the morning, cuddling for two hours. And I'm 25 years old at the time. I, we, we had that kind of relationship, man. It was different. I was never afraid of him because he, was, he wasn't Roddy Piper. He was Roderick Toombs to me, but he still had all those skills and all those things that made him Roddy Piper, but he used them in a different way. Does that make sense to you guys, what I'm saying? Yep. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Of course. Yeah. I kind of went off there, and I just want to make sure it makes sense of what I'm trying to say to you. He, ha- he was just such an incredible man. You know, and, uh, you know, I'm friends with, uh, you know, I'm friends with your wife on Facebook, and that's actually how I met you. Uh, yes, sir. And uh, now, uh, this is kind of an ego statement to me, for me, but... I want you to let everybody know, and, it, you know, I want you to be truthful about this. You and I are the best of friends. Am I right or am I wrong? I mean, the bestest. I mean, did you tell them about our matching necklaces, how we both have half of a broken heart? <laughs> I, well, I didn't tell them that. That was supposed to be between us. Well, that's, that's uh, right. I'm I, sorry. I, I'm I sorry. And it says, yours says IC and mine says ON on the back. That's all. Oh, that's right. I, okay. I, 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 I I don't really know how I feel about this little interaction. Um, I guess the last question. Hey, we got matching uh, tattoos, us too. So don't be feeling be, bad about the necklaces. 
<laughs> well, well, no, I, I just, I just feel bad. Icon lied to me all this time. Um, I, I guess yeah. the, the, the other question, or the last question I would have was, I don't know if Icon's mentioned this to you when you're prepping for coming on the show. Um, but one of, you know, I, I'm a little bit younger, obviously. I, you know, I'm, I'll be 30 in August, you know, and I grew up right in the heart of the Attitude Era. But when I was in, in high school, uh, it was, you know, the early to mid 2000s when, you know, my arguably my favorite wrestler of all time was around. And and um, you know, Icon knows exactly who this is. You think you know me? So I play that because Edge had a show called The Cutting Edge. Now, I yep. and Jericho Jericho had the highlight reel also, but Jericho always kind of annoyed me. So I, I, I watched Edge. Um, was your father, when, when these shows came out, when Edge had, had Cutting Edge, when Jericho had the highlight reel, uh, there's been, there was there was uh, the Cabana, uh, Colts Cabana. There was, yep. <laughs> excuse me, there was uh, all Carlitos Cabana rather. All this stuff. Um, obviously, he was the original talk show. Um, was he sort of bitter that a lot of these shows were ripping him off, or did he take it as a as a, a an honor? Because I I know listening to an Edge interview um, after later on in his career after he retired, Edge mentioned that you know. Obviously, for him, every time he would do it, you know, I mean, Edge was kind of a, let's be honest, Edge was kind of a dick. Um, every time Edge would do his show, he's like, I was trying to channel my karate, that's what he said. And, you know, Jericho, obviously, the same thing, and, and, you know, the cabana and all that. Was he salty about these shows and people sort of trying to make a make a name off of, of something that he created? Or, or was he fully in support of a lot of these shows? You know, it uh, honestly it depended on the person. Uh, if there was a gentleman that yeah. just happened to uh, that was doing it for the wrong reasons, then sure, absolutely, okay. he would uh, have a little heat there. But there, you know, Dad is one of the guys who was what we call a lifer. He was uh, he was in the business when he was young, and he did it to the day he died because he truly believed in it. And so he made that platform. So some guy a long time ago, long long time ago, made the platform of professional wrestling. And Dad happened to take it to a new height, along with guys like George's George, the Hulk, the Rock. These guys took that same platform and rose it up a bit as much as they possibly could. So Dad just happened to insert a new platform into pro wrestling called Piper's Pit, a talk segment, make it a little bit more about the character and the charisma than it is the wrestling. And so he did that, and he when he saw people like Edge, who is an awesome guy to me. He's been phenomenal. He actually bought me a beer when I was like 16 years old. I was sitting in the loser's table uh, while all the guys were talking. Absolutely. And he came yeah. over to me, gave me a beer, and just said, shut up and listen, kid. And I did. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, when gentlemen like that, when they truly were – because Edge, I mean, I know you guys know his career ended, and he truly did love the wrestling business. Um, he yeah. didn't look – There's some, like I said before, sure, there's some guys he's going to have to meet with. But ones like that that truly loved it and wanted to give back to it and weren't doing it to get themselves over – but we're getting it to sell tickets or we're doing it to sell tickets so that everybody in that locker room could eat and rise the entire locker room up to a new standard. Because if you saw a guy in Piper's Pit 
Now you knew Piper, obviously, for Piper's pit, but you also knew who his guest was, and Edge worked the same way. He didn't want to go and just bury the guy with him. He wanted to raise both gentlemen up to new heights every single show, and sometimes it's hit or miss, you know? But that was the point of him going out. So, you know, if he was doing it for the right reasons, absolutely dad was in support, and dad would sit and talk with them and give them pointers and ideas he used that people forgot about to happen on a non-air show and then, hey, use this. It'll work great. It worked great here in Poughkeepsie. Uh, and it's just uh, he really, truly loved the sport and the entertainment aspect of it. He wanted to raise it to new heights, and he thinks that people, you know, like him, really were trying to do the same thing. And so, no, I don't believe he was bitter. I believe he truly believed that uh, they were t- they were honoring him by trying to take what he had started and try to raise it to a new height. Whether they rose or fell, you know, if they rose up, awesome. If they fell, they learned from it, and they'll hit it again next time. Now, uh, you're uh, now real quick here. We only got a few minutes left, but uh, now your father uh, invested in Ric Flair, correct? One more time. I'm sorry. There's some feedback. Your your father was best of friends with Ric Flair, correct? Oh yeah, absolutely, Uncle Rick. And uh, Hulk Hogan and him never got along, and still don't. That was not a storyline. That was real animosity, correct? Correct. Okay, that's what I thought because, uh, uh, yeah, I, I remember, uh, you know, I was always a Hulk Hogan fan. I was always a Roddy Piper fan. However, when it came to uh, your dad, I never snuck into uh, a theater to see a Hulk Hogan movie. I did sneak into a theater to see They Live. So Darn right you did. I mean, you wait know, a minute. You didn't pay for that ticket? You know, I was trying to eat off that money dad was making. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, you know, uh, I I shouldn't admit it because well, the theater's no longer in existence. Uh, it's now a parking lot. But uh, anyway, oh, that's a, that's, uh, actually, yeah. that's a shame, man. No, I love yeah. you know people. People did that. People were passionate about that, man. They if they couldn't afford it or hell, they just didn't want to pay for it. They'd sneak in and watch. They live and stuff like that. He was people. That's what great thing about wrestling fans, man, is they are so. Um, true and consistent. I mean, if they, you start on pro wrestling, like look at The Rock, for instance. I mean, he started pro wrestling, went to acting, got a bunch of other fans, went back to pro wrestling, and they're, they're so loyal. And he, whether Dad was acting or doing Hell Comes to Frogtown, which was, you know, not one of his best movies, but people I went and saw it because they loved Dad. Oh, I loved it too, man. Don't get me wrong. Last potent male on the earth? Shoot, I want to do the sequel. Yeah. I'll tell you what, that movie was probably the best D-minus horror film ever. I love it. As well, I remember, fact, I remember an episode of Walker, Texas Ranger that his dad was in. It was one of my favorite episodes. Oh, Madonna, I cried so hard during that, watching my dad die in that episode. I remember watching oh that. I, I, I was not. I was like 12, give or take. And I remember bawling my eyes out because he played a pro wrestler in it who was dying. Yes, and I was like, did. oh, my God, what is yes, happening to my daddy? No. Oh, man, I remember that. I loved Texas Walker Ranger and obviously Chuck Norris because he's a man. I remember oh, yeah. that well, so vividly. I, 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 I can't I still, believe you mentioned that. And I still, love to watch, I still love to watch the old reruns of Walker, Texas Ranger. I've always been a Chuck Norris fan, too. But that was one, oh, of, my, yeah. that was one of my admit, favorite episodes uh, that he was in. When your dad died in that episode, I never watched Walker, Texas Ranger again. I love it. 
All right. Well, I'll tell you what. We uh, we're gonna we gotta wrap this up here because I'm sure that the big swing is getting the uh, is getting the uh, the signal. So uh, yes, we are we are getting the uh, the little thumbs down symbol here, which means I gotta cut this over to the national broadcast. So. All right. Well, I'll take well guys, I, I appreciate you having me, man. Without, like I said in the beginning, with you out, you guys were nothing. You're the one that puts us out there, promotes what we're doing. You're the one that lets the world know what we do, and nobody would ever know about me if it wasn't for you guys. So I really, really appreciate it, and I'm glad we started this, this relationship, guys. I hope we uh, do many, many more in the future. Yeah, and when you get your wrestling promotion yes, going, you, you text me. We'll get you on, and uh, we'll, we'll promote the heck out of it, and uh, we'll even come out and help you out. You got it. Awesome. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Granny and uh, Swang. You're I welcome. appreciate you, too, brother. Night. Thank you. All right. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Colton Tombs, awesome. everybody. What, a, what an interview that was. Yeah, it took him uh, three times to get your name right, though, which is really cool. That's so we all got right, some, though. Uh, hey, you know, it, it's, <laughs> I, I got some some editing stuff I got to do later. That's, that's, that's we got cool. Some I'm with that. We got some bloopers. I, you know, a, a, every good show has some blooper reels. But so, Icon, uh, next Monday we don't have any special shows coming up, do we? Uh, well, no. Next Monday, uh, we have uh, Texas Wrestling Entertainment. Of course, we have Robbie you Wolf said that, from yep. American Pickers, and uh, yep. it looks like we're going to have uh, Sylvester Fox. The next special show that we got coming on, I'll let you guys know this so you can mark your calendars. Let me just flip through my calendar. Uh, it's not till later okay. in the summer, uh, I, I believe. Let, I was gonna let you guys know, <laughs> July 8th, uh, July thirtieth. Eighteenth. You two are, are gonna be starting the show. I'll be calling in late. I got you guys two guests lined up for that show, but I will be calling okay. in late because I got other stuff going on. And sure, sure. Uh, our next special show will be August 9th. That's a Thursday when we have JT Funk and Scumbag Nation. Granny, you're going to love these guys. Scumbag Nation. These, yeah, these guys are heels from the word go. Hey, what the hell kind of name is Scumbag Nation? Oh, oh good. Oh, good. They'll oh, explain, they'll explain have somebody to play with. Uh, one of their, uh, I guess one of their promoters, uh, they did something, and uh, he said, you know what? You guys are a bunch of scumbags. And uh, they took the name, and they ran with it. They became more popular than the promotion did. So they'll talk to us about that. Scumbag Nation. All right. I'm with it. Yeah. And uh, also, real quick here, I know we got a few few seconds left. Uh, when we're going to have the, the heart show, when we're going to have um, – ah, why can't I find it? Uh we're going to have Ross Hart and Bruce Hart on with us that night. And, uh, you know, we got some uh, other great wrestlers coming on. We got Bobby Fulton coming on. Uh, we have uh, a few of Granny's friends coming on. Uh, his name is Mr. Beard. Uh, Yay! And, uh, hey. yeah, and we're going to have Manny, Manny Fernandez. Tommy Jack, uh, we're gonna have James Beard. Um, we got we got an actor from Canada that's going to be on with us, uh, Bolov uh, Cesario. Uh, he's in a cop show in uh, in Canada that uh, he's going to be on with us, and we also got Natalie Byrne. 
and uh, a lot of other great people coming up. And we have guests now booked from now until next April. So it's happening, folks. All right, I'm 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 with it, man. Next Monday we will see you. This is Attitude Era Live, the number one wrestling podcast on the internet. Stay tuned. Dead man walking. You've done it now.